and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the front of the temple faced east, and the water was flowing from under the right side of the temple south of the altar. And he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside of the outer gateway that faces east, and there was water running out on the right side. And when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits, and he brought me through the waters, and the waters came up to my ankles. And again, he measured 1,000, and he brought me through the waters, and the water came up to my knees. Now, in here, and an angel is, is taking him through this. He's calling him a man, but it's actually an angel. And the water came up to my knees. And again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the water, and it came up to my waist. And again, he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep. Everybody say, too deep. It was too deep. Water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? And he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. And when I returned there along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the valley and enters the sea. And when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the river goes, every living thing that moves wherever the river goes will live. And there will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there, for they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. So if you write in your Bible, I want you to underline that phrase, everything will live wherever the river goes. Wherever the river goes. And it's that fishermen will stand by it from Engadi to Eglam, and they will be places for spreading their nets. Their fish will be of the same kind as the fish of the great sea, exceedingly many, but its swamps and its marshes will not be healed. They will be given over to salt. And along the bank of the river and on the side in that will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail and they will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. Now, I believe as you look at this that you have a great picture here uh, in this vision of how that God moves by His Holy Spirit, okay? If you look at this, the beginning, it talks about that the water was flowing from the threshold, okay? It was just flowing out from the threshold. One translation says it was flowing out from the throne, from the throne area where God was. The further the water got away from where the throne was, the greater the capacity of that water became. It was ankle deep, it was knee deep, it was waist deep, it was so deep that you, could only, you couldn't even swim in it, it was so deep. And then it says that wherever that river went because of where it came from, where that water came from, wherever it went because of where the water came from, brought the life from where it came from. The life and nature of God was carried in the water wherever it went, and wherever it touched, it created life. It created life. And so, you know, as I was studying and praying through this passage, 
this thought came to me, and, and, I, and, I, and, and, and I know this might be a little different and maybe our thinking about, but I want us to do a little bit of a paradigm shift here today, that the greatest activity was happening away from the throne, not at the throne. The greatest activity was happening away from the throne, not at the throne. Now, it doesn't diminish at all what was at the throne. That's not what this is saying. But what it does clarify for you and I is, is that the greatest power, the greatest ability is not, is it, even though it emanates from the throne, does not reach full capacity until whatever is partaking of it, that power and capacity gets away from the throne. Gets away from the throne. The river. The river is, of course, symbolic of the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus talked about it in the New Testament. He said that out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. So now, here's the thing, that, 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 that ability, you're, you're part of the river. You and I are in the river. We are, you know, people say, well, we want to get in the river. You're in the river because the river's in you. The throne now is in you. The throne room exists in all of us. And so what we, what we, what we get, what we start finding out from the scriptures is, is that, listen, the greatest capacity, and I'll get to my main point here. The greatest capacity for what God wants to do isn't in you and I keeping contained what we have, but in you and I releasing what we have. Okay. Being not containing it, not keeping it to ourselves. You know, when the church building becomes the central hub or becomes everything where God is moving, then we have basically violated God's intention for the church. Because where the church makes its greatest impact is not in the church building. The greatest impact is felt out there where the river is flowing. Amen is where the river is flowing. And you know, most of us that were raised in more, what I would consider maybe a more denominational environment, we recognize that really everything became centrally located in the church, that it was the building. It was the, you know, we, as kids we used, to, we used to do, here's the, here's, the, uh, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door and see all the people, right? We did, all did that as kids. I'm sh did you guys do that or not? Do you want to, here, do it with me, okay? Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door, huh? Except at my church, they weren't moving when I was a kid. They were just, they founded the I shall not be moved song. So, <laughs> but, but you know, it, it uh, now if you were at a charismatic, there was all kinds of movement, right? They were all over the place. But it became about the building and it became about the pastor. And it became about what the pastor could do and what the, the pastoral leadership and what the elders could do and what the deacons could do or, uh, you know, what the presbytery could do or whatever environment that you were a part of. But in truth, God's in original intent for the church design was not that everything would flow into here, but that everything would flow out from here. Flow out from here. So let me make a couple of statements that might aggravate you. If the greatest miracles you're experiencing are in here, then we have misguided what God told us to do. 
Because the greatest experience we should have with God is not in here, it's out there. Because the water gets deeper the further away you get from here. Amen. <laughs> and see, when we become, when we all face inward, then all we see is each other. But when we face outward, we have a whole world that we are able to see and the needs that are around us. The truth is, is that churches that face inward eventually kill each other. Because we have no purpose except to exist. That's good preaching, Pastor. No, it's true. It, it is. If, we, if all we're doing is looking at each other, then what ends up happening is, and we have this happening all over the place. We have it happening in our own communities. We have it happening all over the world right now. Is just that we're facing inward and we're trying to survive the group that's inside that, in that holy huddle of people. And what's happening is we have no outward mindset in the church. And so because of that, we're just all focused here, focused on keeping each other around, keeping each other together. Everybody get along. Everybody be at peace, which is absolutely impossible without purpose. It's impossible without purpose. And so our purpose that God designed, and I believe God is the one that we should, we should look to him for guidance for that, is, is that we be outward-minded, that, that we be the river wherever we go. The greatest healings, the greatest are not supposed to happen in this building. They are supposed to happen in your neighborhood, in your community, at your hospital, at your parties, at your get-togethers, in your family, they're to happen away from here. So how do we get that to happen? Well, I think one is, is that we've got to be filled with the Spirit. You know, when we're filled with the Spirit, when we're filled with the Spirit, then we have the mindset of God for what we're doing. But if we're not filled with the Spirit, you know, the Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is the, is the great capacity that you and I have to not only have been filled, to be filled every day of our lives. And as we are filled with the Spirit, then what happens is we have the capacity now to get along, to have purpose, to have focus, to, to be able to be outward-minded, because that filling has to have somewhere to go some kind of an outlet. Let me say it like this. What's in you always comes out of you. Right? It does. What's in you always comes out of you. So if you've got bitterness and anger and frustration and all this stuff going on in the inside of you, then that's what's coming out of you. Whether you even recognize it or not, people see it, hear it, know it, that that's what you have. So what if you have faith and you're filled with the Spirit and you're constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit and you're seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit and wanting that in your life, then guess what's going to happen? People are going to see that in your life as well and going to be drawn to that and the river flows out from here. The river flows out from here. So it moves in a greater capacity the further away we get. A.W. Tozer said something I thought was really powerful and he based it off of John uh, chapter 7 and verse 39. And this is what he said. These were the words of Jesus. But Jesus, he was speaking concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. 
Jesus was not yet glorified. So Tozer made this statement. He said that wherever Jesus is glorified, the Spirit is given. Wherever Jesus is glorified, the Spirit is given. And I think that's a, powerful, that's a powerful statement. Because see, when we glorify God, when, our, when, we de- when we declare the works of our God, we declare the greatness of our God, we declare our opinion of God, giving glory and honor to Him, because that's what glory means is your opinion. When we make those declarations of who God is, what God has, and what God is willing to do, not only does it help those that are around us, but it fills us because it's what we were, it's what we were designed to be able to do, and that is to take who God is wherever we go. To take God, who God is wherever we go. So how do we get filled with the Holy Spirit? You, you know, with some of you that are Bible scholars, you say, well, will you do it by you know, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord? Well, if that's not glorifying God, it's not going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. It's not. So if it's, I mean, look, you can sing, you can sing, you know, blue despair and agony on me. You're not going to get filled with the Holy Ghost. Right? And there are some Christian songs that are no better than that. They're not glorifying God at all. They're glorifying suffering. They're glorifying our weakness. They're glorifying not God, but life. They're glorifying our capacity instead of God's capacity. You want to get filled with the Holy Spirit, you start talking about God's ability, God's glory. We glorify Him. We are, therefore, the Spirit will always come in an atmosphere. So we could say it like this according to what Tozer was saying and what this scripture says. In an atmosphere where we are glorifying or honoring God, God will always show up. God will always show up in that environment, because that's the declaration. So tying that into our lifestyle and how we live our lives, if we're glorifying God in the workplace, then guess, and I'm not talking about you running around going, glory to God, I'm a Christian, blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about you personally, that your life is exemplifying that you believe in God, that your, su- your system of operation in your life is just that you're at a different standard than the world operates at. John Osteen said years ago, and I thought it was so powerful, he said, the world has become more churchy and the church has become way too worldly. I mean, how do we know someone is a Christian? Well, Jesus said we would know by the love that we... Now look, we say, well, by the love we have for the world, but the truth is by the love he said that we have for one another. By the love we have for one another. And you cannot just love people by sheer force of loving people. You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit to love people. Even in this church. Look at your neighbor and say, I know he's talking about you right now. Jesus was full of the Spirit because He glorified, and according to John 17, 4, He said to the Father, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. Notice the work was accomplished because He glorified the Lord on the earth. Peter later affirmed that God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey Him by glorifying Him. Acts eleven thirty. 
excuse me, uh, Ephesians 4.30 tells us that, look, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. When you and I are not glorifying God in our lives, then we begin to grieve or sadden the Holy Spirit. Do not resist the Holy Spirit, Acts 7.51. Quench not the Spirit of God, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. So let's just talk about, because we want to be this river. I'm assuming everybody here wants to be part of that river. The concept is, is that the greater the river is not in the church, the greater the river is, is outside. I know that we always seem like we're trying to get you in here because that's your spiritual experience. But the truth is, we're not just trying to get you in here. We're trying to get you in here so we can get you out there. Okay? We want you here so that we can help you realize what you're to do out there to keep you focused on the things of God because we need this. You know, it's like my pastor, we need this environment, as my one pastor friend said, uh, Dr. Barkley, that the church is a decontamination center. It's a place that we come and we get decontaminated from the world. You know, you're influenced 24 hours a day by the world system, by worldly people, by a worldly environment, at work, uh, at play, wherever you're at. We're influenced by all those things. We come together, and the Bible even says, and I'm, I'm not preaching on church attendance, but it says, look, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. And he said, even more so as we see the day approaching. What does that mean? It means, look, the, the further we get out there, the, the more the challenge will be for us to keep our perspective right. The Bible boldly says in the last days, there are going to be people depart from the faith that are just going to walk away. It shocks me how that I've watched people, close friends, ministry people, people that had great churches and were doing honest, just absolutely awesome things for God have walked away. There are Christians that are now atheists that say, I don't believe in anything. I don't believe in God believe in heaven or hell. I think it's all... How does a person get to that place? How do we end up going that kind of a direction? Well, look, if we forsake the coming together in integrity and honesty in the Word, we're not in an environment where we're continually growing and working our faith and developing our faith together. We're not in an accountability structure with one another. Uh, we're not in a prayer environment with one another. It could happen to anybody. See, the big danger that you got to be careful of for yourself is thinking that you can do this on your own. God did not call us to do faith alone. To do faith. And you say, well, that's why he gave us a pastor. No, he did not give you a pastor for that purpose. He gave you each other for that purpose. Amen. He gave us each other for that purpose. To challenge us. Most of these guys that I know that have ended up out of the ministry, do you know why the, 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 big, the big tragedy for them? They were hypocrites because they were preaching stuff they no longer believed and they weren't ever being transparent about what it was was really going on in their life. Jesus said, blessed are the transparent for they'll see God. You're not going to see God till you get real. That's great preaching. Get real, man. Come on. Let's just be real about it. Life is hard, but God is good. 
Things are not always easy. Things get real difficult. We all question. We were just dealing with a young lady the other day. Sharon and I were, man, she's just all troubled. And she was like, you know, I don't know if I even believe the Bible is real. How do we even know the Bible is real? How do we know we should even believe what the Bible says? And uh, so we were helping guide her through all of that. And we didn't tell her what the church has said for years. Well, you just got to accept it by faith. We have evidence you should believe the Bible. I, we, and it's not your Bible. We have evidence you should believe the Bible. Do you know what that evidence is? It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the resurrection. That Christ was a real person. He lived on this earth. He's recorded in historical books that have nothing to do with the Bible. They're not, they're not biblical books. They're historians that wrote about Jesus this person who was incredible, who did miracles, who walked, who was crucified, and then his body disappeared and nobody knows where it went. Well, we know where it is. It's sitting at the right hand in heaven, amen, ever making intercession for the saints, glory to God. So anyways, I don't want to get too far over into that, but, but, but my point is this, is that when we, when we begin to put up the masks and when we begin to pull away and when we begin to get away from God's people, Look, we're falling into the trap of the enemy because not only will we fall away from God's people, we will fall away from God eventually. And I know that, that we think, well, no, that'll never happen to me. But uh, that'll bring me to my next point. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 19 tells us why the Israelites could not experience the things of God. In verse 18, it says, And to whom did he swear? God swear that they could not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey. Verse 19, See, we, that, we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Unbelief. So, coming back to this about being the river and about you and I keeping perspective and about the great blessing that God wants us to have, we know that one the greatest blessings don't happen in the church, they happen outside the church for God's people as they take what they're getting in the church out up from the throne. We need the throne because that's where everything emanates from. Amen. No, no God, no river. I mean, we need that part of it. But we have to realize out of that that God doesn't give us the river so that we can sit at home with the river and go, I feel really good about the river that I'm in right now. Okay. I feel really good. I'm really blessed. Well, we're blessed to be a blessing, not blessed to be blessed. Amen. Amen. Uh, you know, the way Sharon and I look, we have wealth. God has, we're blessed. We're, we're tithing, offering, givers. But God didn't just give us all that wealth so that we could just sit around and go, we're wealthy. So we could walk around going, look how much money we've got. We're, we're secure forever. We're going to be okay. Everything's going to be, be great. Everything's going to be wonderful. We're good. We, we could just buy shotguns and keep all our money in a safe in the house, and, you know, and, 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 and we'll be just fine till, till we're dead. No, God blesses us to be a blessing. So part of being blessed is to have the blessing mindset. And the blessing mindset is, is that when I'm blessed, I bless others. I find ways to bless other people. I make it not about me, but about God's intent and purpose. So in 
Hebrews, you know, when the Israelites, they had all this opportunity to enter into their promised land, what did they do? They refused it. They refused it because of unbelief. See, what their tendency was, you know, remember that all the time while they're wandering in the, in the, uh, while they're wandering in the wilderness, they had this thing called the tabernacle. And God was there all the time. In fact, they, were, they wouldn't go anywhere unless God was there. I mean, you know, the cloud would lift and God would say, okay, move on to the next spot. And then the cloud would come back and they'd stay there as long as the cloud was there. And you know what? They were real happy being in, with the cloud. Cloud provided everything. Cloud took care. God took care of their food. God took care of their water. I mean, they got upset a few times because he didn't do it quick enough, just like you get upset when God don't move quick enough for you. Right? But they, when they faced what they were, the purpose or the intent for that God brought them out of Egypt was to go into this land that was already by God's sight, their land that he had, he had already provided for them. It says that they couldn't enter in because they basically believed that they could not do it. They were much happier just staying with the tabernacle in the wilderness than they were going into the promised land and seeing the great deliverance and miracle power of God. So guess what? They settled for less. And when you settle for less, that's exactly what you get, less. You always end up with less when you settle for less. God wanted them to have more. And I want to tell you this morning that God wants you to have more. God wants you to have more. But it's unbelief that keeps us out of more. It's unbelief. Now, unbelief can become an operating system in our life, or our, it can become our way of thinking about things that I just can't believe that that can happen. That's what the Israelites said. We can't do it. It can't happen. I can't, we can't accomplish that. The problem with those kinds of statements is, is that God isn't in the forefront. They're in the forefront. So they made it all about them, and God was trying to make it all about him. Are you with me? Look, what did they have to do with getting out of Egypt? Nothing. God, they just, you know, God brought them out. Moses had to do a few things, but, but besides that, what did they have to do? They just got to enjoy the blessing, right? Just do, because it was about God. It was not about them. The promised land, when that opportunity came up, they, they, they all of a sudden started saying things like, well, we're like grasshoppers in our own sight, and we're grasshoppers in their sight, so there's no way we could beat these giants or take this land or overcome this city. We can't do it. We can't do it. And I'm sure God is in heaven going, when did this become about you? When did you become the center of the story? When did you become the center of the story? God's plan was that they would go in easily and overcome everything that was there by his power and his ability. I mean, look, they knew God could wipe out a whole army in a night all by him's lonesome. But they made it about 
them. So here's the point. When we make the story about us, we cling to the threshold instead of going out into the river. We cling to the tabernacle instead of moving into obedience with God. And our unbelief is what keeps us there because we are just too afraid because we're looking at our ability instead of looking at his ability. These are tough words, aren't they? It is. It's tough for me to, 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 to say them as well. But I want to help you because I really believe the Spirit of God spoke this to me. This is the very same thing that's happening and can happen in any church. Is, is that the church is not about God anymore, but it's about us. The church was always to be about God, and we benefit. In our culture today, the emphasis is on man first, God second as needed. So, well, that's not me, Pastor. Well, that's okay. Just stay with me, okay? Don't get ticked off too fast at me here. The great danger that man has dealt with from the beginning, from the temptation of Satan, and, and we see this in, in, in Genesis 3.5, if you want to write that verse down, is this that God, that God had established a set order. He's God. Adam had the benefits from his godness, from the goodness of God. Okay? God gave him responsibility. He said, I want you to tend the garden and I want you to keep it. I want you to take care of this, protect it, watch over it. I give it to you. It's mine but you take care of it. I'm the owner, but you're the one that's going to work it. You're going to, you're going to be the one to keep this evil out of it. You watch over it, okay? The serpent shows up and starts working on Eve. What does he say to Eve? And this is where he, this is where he trapped Eve. He really did. Is when he said, look, God doesn't want you to eat from that tree because in the day that you eat from the tree, he knows, God knows, that you'll be like him is what one translation says, that you'll be like him. Now, this is the great temptation that man has dealt with from the beginning, and that is to be like God. Because when we say we want to be like God, then we can be making the same statement in the context that the serpent provided to Eve, is I don't want to just be like God, I want to be God. I want to be God. You say, well, pastor, that's ridiculous, and I would never practice that in my life. Okay, stop for just a minute before you, before you embarrass yourself. <laughs> Have you ever known God told you to do something and you didn't do it? God says tithe and give offerings. God says love your neighbor even as you love yourself. God says forgive. God says God says, God says, God says. We come back with, I can't, I can't, I can't. I, which really means, I won't, I won't, I won't. So what are we telling God? We're saying no. We're flat out telling him no. Well, I know I should. I know that's what the Bible says. I, I hear this kind of stuff all the time. People say, well, I know, I know this is what the Bible says, but you don't understand what I've been through. See, who's the center of that story? It's you again. And I'm not throwing stones. Look, I've done the exact same thing. 
You let emotion take over and you're not even being spiritual anymore. You're over in some other realm where anger and frustration and disappointment and discouragement take over. But what you and I, what we have to realize from the Word is, is that, listen, God is not, God is our Creator and He is God. We are not God. And the moment that we try to circumvent His position for our position, then we will make Him our servant and we are no longer his servant. Now I'm telling God how to do this. I'm telling God what it should look like. I'm telling God what I need. See, most of us, and, and, and look, if you did this, please don't take it personal. But you came here with expectation today. I'm going to go to church, okay? And so... Uh, why did you come here today? What did you come here for? I came here to give my tithes and offerings. Okay. Uh, I came here to worship. I came here to hear the word. I came here to do all of that. None of that, listen, all of those are things we get to do, but those aren't the real reasons that we honor God on Sunday morning. The real reason we honor God on Sunday morning is to make sure that he's staying God in our life. That he's in first place. You say, well, we can do that every day. But I'm going to tell you, if you're not doing it on Sunday, you're not doing it Monday. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good. But listen, let's drop, this, let's drop the snow job here, okay? Well, you know, we can worship God every day of the week, but do you? Do you worship him every day of the week? See what? So it's it's easy for us to come up with our own story that we're writing, and then we're bringing God into it, and saying, "Well, you know, I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I do this." But what we do, and what we should be doing, is we should be coming together because we want to keep God as the because God said in His Word that we should honor this day and keep it holy. And you say, "Well, is it Saturday or is it Sunday?" Well, look, that part doesn't even matter because the disciples gathered every day of the week, but they made from the Sabbath on Saturday to Sunday because of the resurrection. And so that's when we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. So what's the problem, Pastor? Well, the problem that we're going to deal with, and we've got to overcome this in our day, and we have the challenge of doing it, is what's been put out now, and it's really, it's really big. We probably don't hear about it in our circles much, but it's called moralistic therapeutic deism. And moralistic ther therapeutic deism is everything I just explained to you. That I do believe in God. That, that's A, that I believe in God. I believe there is a God, there's a divine design in some way. But then it gets a little hairy from there. Because deism, whenever you hear the word deism, what that means is that basically I believe in God, but he has nothing to do with us. He doesn't really, he's not really involved in what's happening in our lives. We're kind of in charge of ourselves. That's why we have all the self-help stuff that we have today, because we're in charge of our own life. My central, the, the, the central goal of moralistic therapeutic deism, these don't get any better, is to be happy and to feel good about myself. Now, the only way you will ever 
feel good and be happy about yourself is to realize that you died with Christ and you've been raised to a new life. And if it becomes about anything other than that, we have a problem. That problem will be a problem. You will deal with always trying to feel good about yourself because man cannot feel good about himself by himself. We have to become new creations in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. That's dead. That's gone. I'm a new person. I don't need that. I need God. I need the new life. I need to be born again. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. One of the other tenets of it is, is that God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. So we really don't need God to be too involved unless we're in trouble. And we do see that happen with folks. I'm not saying anybody here would do that, but you know, I got a problem, boy, I better get to church. I've heard people say, I got to get to church, man. I need God today. Well, what happened yesterday? I mean, apparently you forgot who you are, that look, you're look, without Christ, you're hell-bound. Yeah. You could never be good enough. And no matter what anybody tells you in whatever self-help seminar you go to, you'll never really truly feel good about yourself until you receive what God has done for you. The last part of it is, is that good people go to heaven when they die, which has nothing to do with what the Bible teaches us because not all good people go to heaven. If goodness was a quality to go to heaven, then just about everybody would go. Christ is the quality to get us into heaven. So coming back to, now we're talking about the river, right? Why do we have the river? Where's the power of the river? Why aren't we filled with the Holy Spirit? Are we glorifying God or are we glorifying ourselves? Are we making this about me? Are we making it about what I need, what I want, what I want God to do for me, what I need God to do? Oh, I'll, go, I'll do this, but I need God to do this. And I, Lord, you better show up. I've, I'm, I've had people tell me that before, even in this church. Well, we just need God to show up. Well, my Bible teaches me that, look, whenever two or three are gathered, God's there. He showed up. It's just we're so focused on ourselves, we're not seeing him. Or our problem. So, well, Pastor, you're not very sympathetic. Oh, look, I, I'm preaching to me. I'm preaching to me. And when I'm sitting around and I'm just all about, you know, I just want to sing songs to myself about what, you know, what I need and what I want God to do for me and what I need him to do. And there's no worship in that at all. It's all about me. It's all about me. I'm just singing songs about me. I'm not singing songs about God. I'm not worshiping Him. I'm worshiping still me. And He is the means to get done what I need done. Well, let me tell you, you're not the boss and He's not your servant. He's the boss. We're His servants. Hallelujah. You want to get filled with the Holy Spirit? Surrender to his lordship, surrender to his leadership, surrender whatever it is you're hanging on to, surrender that to God and say, look, God, no longer from this day forward, my commitment to before you is, is that you're the king, you're the Lord, you're in charge, I'm not. I surrender to you, Lord God. 
My worship will be about you. My, my study of the word will be about you. I'm not looking, I'm not reading the Bible for a word. I'm reading the Bible to get your mind and your thoughts and to know you better and to understand you better, God. Boy, that's great preaching. I'm praying, I'm praying today, God, to grow into a greater relationship with you, not just to get you to be my genie in a bottle that I rub with a prayer that I got out of a book and get you to do whatever I want done. Straighten my family out, give me some money, heal my body. Wow, this is tough. Maybe you want me to go back to Marietta. But see, here, here's my whole point, and then we'll finish up. And you said, thank God. There's a great move of the Holy Spirit that's happening. There really is. It's, it's already in the works. But for it to do what it needs to do, we got to get us out of the way. So, well, what about my personality? What about my gifts? What about my abilities? Look, I get all of that. We all have that. I mean, Sharon's a certified disc trainer. I get the personality stuff. I get the, you know, I, I understand all of the different minutia of our lives, the different parts and talents and abilities we bring. But here's what we have to get in perspective. God, without you, we could do nothing. I mean, can we, do we really say that anymore? Do we, I mean, I know we say it, but do we really believe that? Do we really, in our heart of hearts, believe what, what the Scripture says, where it says, without Him, you could do nothing, nothing, nothing effective, nothing long-lasting, nothing worthwhile. Without Him, you could do a bunch of stuff, but, it, but, but without Him, does it even make a difference? I mean, could you show up to work tomorrow, go work your 40 hours, 50, 60 hours, and not even have God involved in all of it? Do you even need Him involved in all of it? Can we sit down on our bill-paying day or our you know, calculating day, and, and is God even a part of all of that? Do we begin it with prayer that, Lord, these are your finances, this is your stuff, and whatever you want to do, or do we go to it and just say, what can I make happen with this money? What can I make happen? How do we measure all of this out in our life? Without Him, we can do nothing. That Spirit, that Spirit is part of one of the basic attitudes that has to be in the church for the revival to happen. That we can't do this without Him. I don't want Him, not, I want Him here. I want Him I want him here. I mean, I think about um, Gordon Lindsay, great man of God, powerful miracles. And Lindsay, when he would step up to the pulpit and he would begin to read from the Bible, the people all knew that the real power would hit when Lindsay took a step back from the pulpit. And the reason is because in Lindsay, what he told people is he says, when I take that step back, that's when I've said, I'm not in charge. The Holy Spirit's in charge. Do whatever that you want to do, Lord. Take over. Lord, take control. So when we say that, look, we want revival, we want the river, we want the power, we want the greatest demonstration, we want all of that, and, 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 and I do, and I, I'm sure many of you do too, but how are we going to get from point A to point B? It all begins with the right attitude. God, you're God. I'm not. Whatever you say, I'm done saying me. I'm done talking about me. 
I'm done singing about me. I'm ready to start talking about who you are, what you have, and what you can do. And I know that when I do that, that'll change everything. That's how transformation happens, is, is that when we declare the works of our God, it changes us. Glorify God, the filling of the Holy Spirit will always happen. Always, 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 always. Always. I mean, I had to get before God, you know, and I, I mean, this is, I'll, I'll be honest with you just about myself personally. An attitude that can develop in pastors is people come to hear me. I'm going to have a great word. I'm going to have a powerful word for the people today. I said stuff like that. You've heard me say it. I got a word from God for you today. Now, I, nothing wrong with that statement, except behind that I'm saying that somehow I'm the reason that things happen. You're not, I am not the reason. I'm not the reason. And look, People say, well, we come to church because we got a great, we got worship leaders, not necessarily here, but we got worship leaders that think that people come because of the great music. If that's why people come, that's an embarrassment to the kingdom of God. Because we ought to be able to worship God with an old snaggle tooth, one stringed guitar singer that can't stay on key. And if we can't, we got to really question where our worship is. Well, that's tough, Pastor. Golly, what's the matter with you? Well, I want, I want, I want more. I, I don't want to just keep hanging onto the threshold where the water's trickling out. And I'm going, oh, that's awesome. Look at this. Isn't this great? And Sharon and I are just splashing around at the threshold going, look, isn't this great? This is awesome. See the water coming? We're at the throne. We're at... And God's saying, go deeper. Come on, man, it's time to go deeper. Well, I, but God, you're here. Well, I'm there too. You can't limit me to this one place. I'm not just in a building. I'm not just in one person. I'm in all my people. That's what I loved last week, man, watching them kids. God's in all those kids. God's in everybody that was there. They're all used. They're all got power. They all got the same Holy Ghost I got. It didn't have to be about my story and me and am I getting the attention I need. It's all about them. But in reality, it's all about Him. It's all about Him. Hallelujah. The greatest flow of the Holy Spirit in the last days will be as people surrender to the will of God and glorify Him. As we glorify Him, we will be so filled with the Holy Spirit because it won't matter who's doing what. It won't matter who's getting what. It won't matter, you know, I'm not coming to church to make it about me or whether I got something out of it. I'm making it all about Him. And when I leave this place, it'll still all be about Him. Did I help you at all today? Well, if I made you mad, good. And if I made you happy, good. Because look, we've got to move forward. We really do. We've got to move forward as God's people. There are souls by the thousands and thousands that are going to hell today. And a powerless, self-centered church does not have the ability to be able to help them. But a powerful, Christ-centered church can make all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. Hallelujah. Stand with me, would you?
Thank you, Lord.